Josh, and welcome back to Nintendo Nostalgia. This is episode 167, and we are playing with power. We're here with um, my co-host, Ryan Black. And also, we have a couple guests with us today. We have Brad Hunziger. I apologize if I butchered your last name there, sir. <laughs> um, and we also have a very special guest today, uh, Mr. John Passfield. How are you all doing today? I'm doing good, man. Um, it's a beautiful day here, um, bright and early. <laughs> I don't think the sun's even decided to peek, peek around the corner, but uh, but um, I think it's a little bit of a different story for uh, John. He is uh, he is overseas. It's uh, it's really awesome to have a guest on who's uh, who's uh, in Australia. Even that's pretty cool. Um, we've not had anybody that far away. Uh, we've had a UK guest before, but uh, it's awesome to have have the people from all over the world come on the show and uh uh brad um how are you doing right now i'm doing just peachy <laughs> and john i'm doing very well thank you very much it's actually uh it's it's nighttime here in australia but it's generally very sunny and very hot but it's uh but it's you know cooling down a bit now mm. um not to bring down the mood just a little bit but uh were you affected by any of the fires and stuff that were going on over there? Uh, personally, we were pretty lucky up here. We're in uh, Brisbane, Australia, which is in Queensland. But there were fires uh, around. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we, we were affected in terms of having friends and family who were in those regions. But uh, myself, my wife, and the kids were, were fine. Okay. But thank you for asking. It's a pretty, pretty yeah. big thing. Yeah. Yeah, you mean there's a lot of things going on in the world. You know, go from the fires to all this... Uh, this coronavirus stuff it's kind of crazy but uh yeah we're uh, we're able to come on today and uh it's awesome to be able to talk about nostalgia from a developer side of things as well as like just a gamer side um it's something we've always dreamed of doing and we're, we're glad to have you on for our first episode uh as, as a as a person who is uh in the gaming industry or or rather was in the gaming industry in the in the at least the gamecube days if not before so we'll get into your story mm -hmm. here in a moment um, but Great. before we do, um, let's go ahead and get into what we are Radical Rexing about. All right, guys. Um, Josh, why don't you take us out here and let us know what you have been like Radical Rexing about? Oh, my say. So everything here has just been a little wild. I, I, I guess there's not a whole lot exciting to say other than uh, just been trying to jump game to game, trying to pick up a few things and and learn exactly what I need to be doing. Um, you know, I've been writing some reviews and articles and just different things like that, just testing the waters, um, hoping to find my way a little more in uh, exactly where I want to be going. You know, I'm currently not uh, not saying too much. I'm, I'm currently not satisfied with my uh, 
career, so to speak. <laughs> so I'm just um, just excited at poking around at different things there and and getting some of that done, just seeing where it goes. Um, like I said, just jumping around on different games and things, just getting a feel for things. And uh, um, yeah, oh, I guess I could say I'm looking forward to this upcoming weekend. I'll be playing some Animal Crossing with the family. Um, so that should be a good time. But but yeah, other than that, just sort of um, playing the waiting game, seeing where things go. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of things shut down at the moment around here. So <laughs> yeah, just just seeing where that goes. Our schools and stuff are already canceled for next week and until who knows when. So mm-hmm. right now we're just kind of writing that out. Awesome. Um, I will um, cap us off. Um at the end of the segment. So I'll go ahead and have um, you go next, Brad. Yeah. So kudos to um, both Ryan and um, Jacob Rush. They have been working on me so, so hard to move into the 21st century and get a switch. And finally, in the last week or two, I broke down and got a switch, so I've been going crazy over the Fire Emblem Three Houses. I am so far in. Um, I'm probably sure many fans might disagree, but I went with the um, Blue Lions. It's oh, nice! Run through so far. That's what I've been up to. Awesome. And John, what are you radic waxing about? Uh, well, I've been enjoying The Witcher 3 on the Switch, so awesome. I missed I missed The Witcher totally. Um, I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was going to be a bit too, you know, uh, gruesome or, you know, whatever. And um, it wasn't until I saw the TV show and I realized how cool Witcher was. I bought the game. I even bought the books, and I'm loving it. It's a, it's a great game. Um, and I also picked up Doom 3, um, which I had never played, I have to admit. So I've been um, switching between... Pardon the pun, but I've been switching between uh, The Witcher 3 and Doom 3. And I am super excited for Animal Crossing. Um, I asked my daughter if we should buy another Switch just so you know they can have their own version, her and her brother. But she said no, so we'll be sharing that and playing on the big screen. Awesome. Cool. Uh, you know, some, some of those uh, Animal Crossing memories, it's, it's awesome to be able to play with family. And, um, oh. you know, I, that's... Kind of what I'm radical rexing about is just, you know, it's always every week it's been like Animal Crossing, but uh, more the aspect of being able to uh, play with my wife again. We used to, um, we were a long distance relationship um, early in our relationship, and what we would do is we'd, we'd go on dates together through Animal Crossing, and uh, so it's, it's really cool. awesome to be able to go and and uh, do that again, even though we're, you know, we're living in the same house and married and everything. Like, it's it's awesome to be able to share each other's towns and just, like, geek out about all the characters and, and detail they put into the game. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yesterday, the uh, Animal Crossing Switch came out, and I ran out and uh, grabbed that for my wife. Um, it was a Valentine's Day gift, so so my wife knew it was coming, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, we haven't unboxed it yet. Uh, I was busy last night, and so I got home and... Everybody was asleep. I'm like, oh, I was really looking forward to the unboxing. So uh, we're going to be doing that after the show. Um, but it's really exciting to just experience Animal Crossing again. Um, I'm kind of playing uh, like games that aren't too involved, like puzzle games and stuff, just to pass the time. Because I know if I dive into something, 
Um, it's just going to go by the wayside as soon as Animal Crossing comes out. So I didn't. I was going to try to like blaze through Super Lucky's Tale before I did this, and it just didn't happen. I'm like, nope, nope. So I've just been playing like Picross S2, just trying to complete that to get S3, and and so just not really like doing any serious like adventure or story based gaming. Um, I do have The Witcher sitting on my Switch. Um, I need to get around to playing it, but I haven't done it yet. So. Um, but that's something that'll happen way after Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is going to be life for a while. <laughs> I, I will say I've played The Witcher 3 on the, the Xbox Summit. It is a huge game. I never actually beat it. But it's a that, that's, a, that's what put me off as a size. I thought there's no way. But, but you know, sometimes you just got to dive in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting experience. I played it after watching the show myself, actually. Um, but it's good. It's good. I'd recommend it. Just I do wonder how how you would approach it if you hadn't seen the show because because uh, having watched the show it set the framework for the the world and the mythology and I just found it instantly gettable but I wonder if I'd not seen the show whether I would have got a bit lost in it. I think so. It's it's a bit deep even even for me like it's um especially jumping in at three I, I don't feel like I missed a whole lot of crucial information but. Yeah, I think the show helped me understand it a little bit. Because I was a little slow on the show, honestly. It took me a few episodes, the way it flowed, to, to really get mm. what was going on. But, um, yeah. Oh, and Ryan, I was going to say on the Animal Crossing Switch, not to jab too much myself, but um, that, that thing looks beautiful. I love the dock. I don't feel like you see a whole lot of those. Like, I, I've, I've, I can't even think of hardly any other custom-made docks like that. Um now, I, I did see one at uh, when I was at Gamescom with Ubisoft. There was one there, but it wasn't official. So it, mm. you know, it's not something. It was actually one that the Mario and Rabbids team had kind of drawn up. But, but yeah, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like we see enough of those. Uh, before we move on from Radical Rexine, I did want to ask you guys. Um, so you guys own a Switch. Uh, what do you prefer? What do you use most? Do you usually do on the go, or do you usually use it as a home console, or maybe an equal mix of the two? Um, Brad? So I actually have a Switch Lite, which is really nice for me, um, mainly because I'm still not in the 21st century. I live in my own little world um, without TV. So it's just perfect. Um, it could come in yellow, and um, I'm enjoying um, everything about it. I'm still amazed as to um, how they can put in such detail and incredible games into um, such a small package. Mm-hmm. John, what's your preference for switching? I well, I I do play. I've got two kids who are older now. They're they're fifteen and thirteen, um, just about ten thirteen. But I probably play handheld mode more. But I do love it to, you know, putting on the big screen occasionally. Um, yeah, just when you got kids. I don't know if either you, if you guys have kids, but when you got kids, you kind of have to put things down quickly and pick them up again quickly. And, and handheld mode is great. But I love the versatility of playing the big screen. The kids will play um, with friends. Friends are over. They'll play. Um, you know, Mario Kart and uh, one, two switch and, and games like that. They'll play it on the big screen. Josh. I, I usually do the TV more. I just prefer it on there to get the full experience or whatever. I love the pro controller. Um, now handheld mode is pretty handy. Again, I've, I've got a five-year-old 
um, <laughs> it, it gets it off the TV. And I mean, I, I guess you could say I usually play kitty friendly games, but you know, with some of those, it, it's it's nice that I don't always have to wait for her to be in bed to, to play some of the ones that I might not need her to watch me play on the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Be it the more violent ones or whatever. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's it's there. Or if I'm in my car at work, maybe I'll play in handheld. But that's about it. Okay, I am primarily handheld. Um, occasionally I'll do streaming and I'll I'll play on a TV. But most of the time I'm it's on the go. I'm working a lot, so on my lunch breaks and everything I'll be playing. So yeah, I'm 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 very mobile with my Switch. But um, and I'm kind of tempted to to go for the the Switch Lite and and go like portable with that. But at the same time, I'm like. Well, you know, I probably just want to wait for that, hopefully, uh, Metroid uh, Switch Pro system when it comes out with Metroid Prime 4. You know, I'm dreaming, mm. but <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, something I'm kind of holding out for is that we'll get some kind of Metroid-themed something or other, and uh, and I'll probably do the upgrade then. I did initially do the upgrade to the better battery life uh, regular Switch uh, when it first came out. Um, so yeah, but I'm mostly, mostly on the go, uh, handheld. Take it everywhere I can with me. <laughs> I'll say I will say that uh, that new coral colored. Um, I think it's coral. Am I saying that mm-hmm. correctly? Yeah. That, that 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 colored one, the light looks pretty awesome. Um, I don't really have a reason to have the second one, but that <laughs> one is pretty. Okay, so this week we have a very special game, and uh, that came out. Um, it was multi-platform um, at the time, um, but it was on Nintendo GameCube. And uh, it was played quite a bit by many, many fans, and it is so beloved. And that is Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. Josh, uh, go ahead and open up. I know you had some some uh, questions and kind of the lead up to how this is going to be uh, moving along. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Yeah, so since we've got John on here, if it's all right, um, I wanted to sort of get started with you, if it's all right. Um, wanted to ask, how did you get started in in the game industry in general? What what got you so interested in it? Right. Well, I, I'm I'm a little bit older than you guys, so. Um... I began way back in the 80s um, playing games. And in Australia, we had this uh, computer called the Micro-B computer, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a, a locally made Z80 computer system. So it was, it was a green screen computer. And through kind of um, sheer force of will, when we had this at home, I was playing a game at the local arcade called um, Pango, which was a Sega game. I think a Sega. It's a little game with a penguin. You push around blocks. Okay. And I loved it a lot. And and I didn't want to keep putting, uh, I guess, quarters. We we had 20-cent coins. Um, So I didn't want to keep using those up. So I thought Christmas break from school, I thought, I'll make one. So I sat down and and programmed up a Hello – sorry, a um, Chili Willy. I called it Chilly Willy. I programmed up a copy of Pengo on the microbee computer. And that was kind of my first foray into making games. And when I finished it, I thought I'll send it off to this um, company that – published the games in Australia called Honeysoft. And they wrote back uh, with a letter because it was on cassette tape. 
1983, and they wrote back saying, oh, we like it, we'd like to publish it. And uh, I said, go for it. And I didn't have a contract or anything. It was just one of those things that just happened. Mm-hmm. And that was my sort of first game. So I was in high school. Um, so I guess for us, it was like a grade, um, I think grade 10. So I was like 15 or 16 at the time. And that's how I sort of got my beginnings. And, and I got a cassette tape sent to me with my game on it. And um, that was the beginnings of games. I hadn't thought about that as being a career at the time. Um, cause you know, I just made it during school holidays and I made a follow up the following year called Halloween Harry, which yeah. sort of went on and became a, a, an Apogee game, um, many years later, a remake, but that's how I began making games. And then, uh, just to cut forward, uh, I did a computer science degree and near the end of the degree program, again, back in my mind thinking I'd love to make games, but in Australia, there wasn't really a big market for it. And, um, I knew there was a market in the U S and the UK, but I ended up getting a job in a telecommunications company for, um, I stayed there for about nearly two years. And at that point, I hated it so much uh, that I just had to, to leave. And uh, at this point, I met um, uh, Steve Stamatiadis, who we went on to do uh, tie together. And uh, he'd finished um, his art degree and wanted to make, he was a comic book artist and wanted to make games. And he told them about uh, the game maker, Halloween Harry. And he said, let's make that, remake it on the Amiga computer. So this is, again, in the early probably around about the 1990s. Um, so it was four or five years after uh, I first made Halloween Harry on the um, microbeat. So basically what we did was we thought, let's do this. We started making, remaking Halloween Harry. And so that was, uh, and then shortly after that, within um, a short amount of time, I quit my job and went full-time into making games. So that was like 1991, 92. So that's how I began my career. So it was all, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, um, a long process, but yeah, that's how I began. Cool. I almost can't imagine jumping into it at that time period. Um, you know, it's it's one of those somewhat dreams, I guess, for my myself right now. But I feel like now it's it's in a different place than it was in the early '90s or so. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, you did. We didn't realize. I didn't realize where where it was at. What it was. You know, where it would eventually go. But it's interesting because I've read. Um, I don't know if you know Jordan Mechner, who did um, Prince of Persia. Yeah. Um, He's got a new book coming out, um, which I've got to got to buy. It. I've got it on. Uh, I've got the old version of it. It's the making of Kritika, and the making of Prince of Persia. And I always quote this line he has in his book. And this is and this is around the same time, like the 80s. So he was making these things when I was still in school, making my games, which didn't have near the success he had. But he re, he recounted a conversation with Broderbund executives, and he said that they were lamenting that after um, it was before Prince of Persia came out. But I think there was a, a game at the time. They're admitting that, you know, the gold rush was over and it was all done. And I thought that was such a funny thing to think that they thought that back then. And it only had just begun. Right. So uh, I get what you're saying. But I think, you know, with the Switch and, and whatever Nintendo does next, there's there's always an opportunity to be there at the beginning. It might be – it's a new beginning. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, there's always new opportunities and there's there's always something new, whether it be VR or AR or, or whatever. But, yes. But, it, but again, you won't know it until about 20 years later. You go, oh, wow, that was really cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go ahead and jump us forward a little bit here, I guess. And uh, we'll get talking about uh, our game, Ty, Tasmanian Tiger. So, yeah, I guess while we're at it, John, if you don't mind, um, uh, you want to talk about some of how that came about or uh, how you got into Chrome and, and whatnot? Yeah, certainly. So with um, with Steve, so we, we started... Um, Originally, what we called our company was Interactive Binary Illusions. Um, 
we like the name Binary Illusions, but we had to put the word interactive in it because another company had a similar sounding name. And um, we were doing the Halloween Harry remake and a game called Amazon Queen for that company. Yeah. We changed the name because we got sick of IBI. We'd, we'd call up on the phone and we'd say IBI and people thought we were saying IBM. So we changed the name to GWiz Entertainment. And um, as GWiz Entertainment, we started to move towards 3D. Um into 3D games, and we met a guy called Robert Walsh who was looking at doing a surfing game. And we thought, well, we'll work with him and make this game called Pro Bodyboarding. It was Mike Stewart's Pro Bodyboarding. So we were working with Robert, so Steve and I, as G was Entertainment, and that was really the core of what became Chrome Studios. So um, once we published Pro Bodyboarding on PC, and Steve and I really wanted to get into to console development in 3D, uh, we said, let's join forces and form a company. And that's where Chrome came about. And I think Chrome was sort of chosen as a name because we wanted something that sounded shiny and new. So it was like Chrome, but we, we put a K in it. So it was a bit different. So that's, that's yeah. how Chrome came about with K. Um, just, as, just to go back to um, the early days with 3D, when we we're doing Halloween Harry, which was 1993 through Apogee, we were very lucky that um, they sent out some, um, the distributor in Australia um, who were working with, uh, and with Apogee, they had uh, a, advanced copy of a new game coming out and i remember we we're in the offices and we we're looking at you yeah, showing up halloween harry and we booted up this new game and it was called doom and <laughs> we sat there and we had this little 2d game with a 2d character jumping on screen and next thing is we saw doom and it was like oh my god this is this is the future we're so far behind you know it's not gonna, <laughs> 2d is gonna be dead luckily 2d isn't dead 2d is still beloved today but but yeah that was amazing to see um that so early on and where things were going because it was a big leap forward from wolfenstein 3d um, very, very amazing wow. stuff. Oh, now, sorry. Do you want to talk? Oh, I was going to talk about. You want to talk about how Chrome? Uh, yeah. Oh, you go on. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> you do edit this, don't you? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll polish it up. No worries. <laughs> Excellent. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. Um. Now, as a game developer, I can't imagine. Um, I was told basically that. Uh, it, it involved a lot of math, and since I didn't excel in, in high school at math, um, that I, I probably wouldn't be happy in that career. And uh, I never really, really pursued it. But you know, I, I've done some like minor, like web design stuff, but nothing on the scale of like a game and everything. Um, now, how much hand on, hands on were you? Um, are you pretty much a lot on the coding side of things? Um, did you have any hand in any art or maybe audio or anything like that uh, for your games? What What is your specializing like talents, I guess? You said you did create the, you said it was Halloween, Harry? Yeah, Halloween, Harry. It's okay. Alien Carnage. Uh, I think it was published in the US as. Yeah. Okay, RPG. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's freeware now, so you can download it and play it for free on DOSBox. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> um, yeah. So what you said, it's interesting because, um, yeah, I don't think you, you don't have to be a math whiz to do programming. Um, it's the real thing is probably logic um, is the biggest thing. Uh, I was very lucky that with, um, yeah, we had a guy called Tony Ball who was, uh, he's now living in, I, he's in the States now. He lives in the United States. Um, he's from Brisbane as well, Australia. But he was the whiz with maths and he made an amazing graphics engine. So I was lucky that as a, so my specialty is um, coming back from the early days of you sort of did everything yourself. So I would program and do a bit of art and do design. Um, by the time we got to, to games like Ty, you had to sort of specialize. So I was more um, design 
than anything with that project. But leading up to that point, uh, you know, Tony had the 3D engine, which we call Blast Graphics. And it was, it was so good because I could just go into C and type, you know, load 3D object and give it a name. It would load up. And then I'd say, you know, add 3D object and give it XYZ points that appear in the screen. So I didn't have to worry about any maths. And Tony did a lot of that stuff. So we had a really good SDK that would let you, um, sort of like Unity, I guess, today, that, that made it easy for people who weren't uh, maths whizzes. So, um, yeah, so, you know, you definitely could, I think, particularly with the tools today in Unity, um, you could definitely go in and not be a maths whiz. Um, you know, there's a point where if you want to do some tricky 3D stuff, you might need to know that stuff, but Google will have all the answers for you. So don't let that <laughs> hold you back. You, you could do it. You know, even Game Maker, you can do some amazing stuff with that. Um, yeah, so that my, my background with um, uh, programming and design, as I said, probably more with Ty, it was definitely more uh, design. Although in the early stages, uh, I did work on the prototype with um, the team, uh, getting that, that initial prototype up and running. So next thing I was going to go ahead and jump into, if it's all right. Um, Brad, since uh, you're our guest, I wanted you to go ahead and jump in first um, and tell us some of your memories with, with Ty in particular. Um, with how you first found out about it. Cool, yeah. So, oh man. Um, this is back quite a while ago. Um, for some reason, I don't know um, how this came about, but um, huge GameCube fan. Um, my parents um, definitely... Uh, enjoyed um or saw that i enjoyed it so would buy me like random games but i don't know if they ever figured out or like asked me what i won so they would buy me whatever like looked cool at the store so this was one of the awesome fun surprises um that i got it was probably one of my like favorite GameCube game. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it just ended up being awesome and amazing. And like, who wouldn't want a character running around, throwing crazy boomerangs um, and going through an adventure? It really matched like the game style that I loved of like kind of this Mario or Donkey Kong world that you can go around and explore and go into different levels um just kind of have free reign over like um what challenges you wanted to get at and you could go on you'd have like little hints as to where you need to go or you could just kind of explore to your heart's content i remember getting lost a couple times just because uh, a lot of the uh puzzles or things you needed to solve required the uh the new types of boomerangs but i would um forget to use them because i had also unlocked a new powerful boomerang that i was too busy killing all the enemies with <laughs> realizing my new and amazing power um yeah it it was just like a fun game i got immersed into the story really well loved all the powers um, that you could unlock just had like a really nice flow to it and I just remember being uh, with playing with my brothers and being super immersed into 
the world and I think this was one of the very few games that um, we enjoyed enough that we went through and hated like 100% of it. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had another question, Brad, that you were talking about different boomerangs. Do you remember having a, a personal favorite by chance? Yeah, so um, going through there, like some of the main story boomerangs, um, I think it shows like the fire boomerang and the um, cover art. Um, so you can like melt ice, there's an ice boomerang. Um, you can um, kind of create blocks or an electric ring, I think. You could like start um, machines with. Um, but those were all like really basic and you needed the puzzle. There were um, others that you could unlock that had like superpowers. Like I remember the multi ring, you could like throw indefinitely. Have like 20 boomerangs out. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, and there was another one that was really interesting. It would like hone in on the bad guys. And as a little kid who, um, struggled to aim rather than using <laughs> the story boomerang a lot i would go in with the overpowered like auto <laughs> boomerang and just wipe out the enemy so easily until you get the bosses who uh need the special boomerangs they're always just like oh that's that's good that's good to hear i'm, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed those um, I was going to say, just with the design of those, it was interesting because um, we, we tried to kind of um, create situations where it was different ways to solve certain puzzles. So the frosty ring, if you hit that in the ground, on the water, it would make the ice cubes you could jump on. So we had situations where you could either get up really high and glide over to, say, a pillar with a prize on it, like one of the golden cogs, or you could then get across there by using the um, the ice blocks so you could jump up onto the ledge to get the cog. So we, we try to come up with multiple ways of doing things. I'm not sure if people approach it that way, but that was fun as a designer. Um, you know, we'd, we'd play it and go, oh, we could do it this way as well. So that was that was good. I'm glad you really enjoyed that. Oh, nice. Cool. I And I feel like that really helps, like, as um, a, a kid solving puzzles, I um, there, there were lots of other games, like... Um, when I play through Zelda, where it's just like there was one solution to solving a puzzle, and I wouldn't get it right away, so it'd frustrate me. But with Ty, there was enough variation. I feel like that mm. um, either I wouldn't get stuck on the puzzle, or I could distract myself and work on another puzzle within the world until I figured out. Um, the one that I saw before me. We, yeah, one of the things, just about the design of the game, we, we, um, and the inspiration was, uh, if you want to hear about that, we basically were huge fans of obviously Mario, as you can tell. And, you know, playing Mario, uh, Super Mario 3D was when it first came out on the Nintendo 64 was just mind blowing. You know, that was a truly immersive 3D game. And that was like the gold standard. We got to make a game like this. <laughs> and, then we were inspired by uh, other games like Spyro the Dragon. And there's a lineage there. If you look at the way Ty glides, that was that was lifted from like Spyro. So we had all these great games we loved. And Diddy, um, the Banjo-Kazooie series, 
uh, huge fans of those as well. So, and they were just the Banjo Kazoo was just loaded with um, collectibles and things to do. And you never got speak to your point about getting bored if you got distracted or you got stuck. You could always go do something else. So we kind of, as fans of all those games, and we played them all through from start to end. Uh, when we came to making Thai, we wanted to bring as much of that stuff into Thai as we could. So, you know, that's why there's there's dozens of bilbies to find each level and golden cogs and all the opals and uh, just a bunch of stuff hidden away. And every waterfall, by the way, in the game has something in behind the waterfall because nothing more disappointing than finding a waterfall in a game. There's nothing there. So, yeah. So, you know, lots of secrets. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. But yeah, definitely from um, that were the big ones was um, a lot of the Nintendo games and then um, uh, of course, um, Spyro the Dragon. Ironically, um, Crash Bandicoot was probably a game that inspired us in more of a uh, an agitated way. In that, mm-hmm. um, as an Australian with an Australian accent, I got really annoyed that Crash, I think, was supposed to be Australian, but Coco had an American accent, and I was going, mm-hmm. "What the hell? Why is she American?" <laughs> and and we thought, "We're going to make our own game, and it'll be Australian and have Australian accents in it." So that was that was kind of um, a little that was like a bit of sand that that you know that irritated us so um yeah crash is a great game as well but but definitely nintendo was the was the gold standard um oh and the one other game that that did come out around the same it was in development before before us and um uh definitely did have a little bit of influence was jack and daxter mm-hmm. um and the reason why it influences was that we had uh, a, a a person at sony who was really um a really good in sort of giving us guidance and they couldn't tell us anything, but all I could say was that when we did our first, um, our first sort of prototype level for Thai, and we're showing it to people, and we're showing it to EA and Sony, uh, the producer Sony said, "Look, it's not as vibrant enough. It can be better," because he knew what the PlayStation was capable of, because he was seeing Jack and Daxter in development, and we had no idea this was coming. And so he was pushing us to say, you know, it can be brighter, it can be bigger, it can be better. And so we're really that. So in a sense, Jack and Daxter helped um, push us to, you know, create a more vibrant living world. Awesome. It's it's really cool to hear um, other industry uh, people like kind of pushing and improving um, the developers even at that time. I mean, there are so many indies out there and um, and just people like kind of jumping into the gaming world. And it, it's it's awesome at that time to have somebody like bigger names, bigger companies come in and say, hey, you, you can do this and push you to strive uh, for better, better graphics, uh, better uh, mechanics uh, just um, kind of improve your world. Um, it's awesome to have that kind of feedback um, with the yeah, game. Definitely. Yeah, uh, definitely. The theme is really cool. Um, I there were so many mascot games. I didn't know what what games to choose, and so like I pretty much I, I played it safe every time and just stuck with like the, the Nintendo stuff. Um, I didn't branch out too far into mascot. Stuff. I mean, I played a little bit of Crash Bandicoot with a friend, you know, same with Spyro. Um, I never got around to Jack and Daxter, but uh, this was something that I respected you guys a lot for this game because there was an ad that came out. Uh, this is my first memory. Um, it was a magazine ad that I saw, um, and it showed uh, other mascots uh, bandaged up in hospital beds. Um, and I... I didn't see Mario amongst all of them. And I, I gave you guys mad respect for that because like, I was so worried like someone that's going to be edgy like that was going to like rag on Mario and I would have been so upset, but because it didn't, I was like, you know what? I don't hate this game. Exactly. We went, I think we went after Sonic and, um, and Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, definitely. 
wouldn't touch mario he's too yeah he's he's like the god of video games no way there's actually a video um out of that as well you can find on youtube um it's got some cg of ty walking in the uh in the in the hospital ward where they're all laid laid up so you can hunt that down somewhere i I actually remember that commercial um coming on here i think he walked through and then he'd turn around and like scare him yeah that's right i remember right yeah and I think there's a sound in one of the bedpans as well, if you listen yeah. carefully. <laughs> yeah, no, it, was, it was a lot of fun. That was really, but it was exciting because when that, because we, we'd, um, we, we, when you said indie games, we were literally an indie games company. We, um, we had success through when we formed Chrome. We started this idea that we would do license work. So we were doing um, jobs for Mattel and, um, and Disney. So we, do, we did like, um, goofy's extreme extremely goofy skateboarding uh we did a barbie sparkling ice show so it was a bit of for the for the team it was probably hard because um you know we were working on things that probably weren't that exciting but at the same time it was funding we got coming in and that helped us um fund our own projects internally so that's how how ty was funded was was through um work for mattel and disney and so we took the money and put that into into our own game. So we definitely were an indie developer in that respect, that, that it was developed on our own funds. And then we got um, EA interested in it. Um, and that's how we end up uh, being published by them and, and having that great marketing campaign. And being at E3 was amazing. And coming into an E3 with all these amazing um, EA games, and there's there's Ty on stand. That was amazing because we'd never had that in our lives because um, it was totally indie at that point. Um, that was amazing. I, I, I can't imagine that. I, I, I have to say it's kind of a funny time to mention it since it's not going on this year. But um, I've always wanted to go to E3. Um, but I don't know if I've ever really thought about the the chance of going to E3 and, and then seeing your own game, you know, under under a big publisher like that. It, it, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Hopefully E3 will be back again soon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it will do in some form. Right, right. It almost feels like PAX, I guess, in some ways, um, become that sort of place to go now, doesn't it? In terms of it's it's open to the community, the public, and and gamers and and developers alike. I think so. I, I think um, I guess not to get too off topic on it, but I I could imagine it maybe being a bit more like that. Or um, like I said, I'd I'd gotten the chance to go to Gamescom last year, and maybe it could be a little something more like that. Where I think there was forty thousand some people there. You know, they just, wow. There was a press day the first day we were there, and then after that it was, um, you know, it was just everybody, and it was it was packed. It was a huge place. But personally, I could see it maybe taking more of a direction like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool that you got to experience it that way. That's that's something I never even imagined. Yeah, and again, it took us some um, 15 years to get there. <laughs> 14 years. That wasn't like yeah. overnight. So. Mm-hmm. So by that stage, we were, it was amazing. But um, yeah, we're going, oh, this is so cool because we, we'd seen it from a distance and that was great. So was uh, Ty one of the major like first games that that was under a big publisher that you took? Um, like, Is that the one that, that took you to E3 or have you had some other things before prior to the game that, that kind of brought you to that spotlight? Yeah, well, prior to that, we... we did a game prior to Chrome. Steve and I did a game called Flight of the Amazon Queen, and that was done in 90... It came out in 95... I think it was 1995. 96. 95, 96. And that one we went to uh, ECTS, the European Computer Trade Show, with that one, um, and had that on display there. So that was exciting. But again, this is a very different market because, you know, it was 
10 years prior and it was smaller and everything was sort of PC based. Um, it was just before um, uh, PlayStation sort of burst in the scene and changed everything. Mm-hmm. But um, we also did, um, prior to going to ECTS, we did a trip to the CES, the Chicago Entertainment, is this, yeah, the summer CES, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. And that was my first trip ever to America, and that was amazing. Um, the publisher we signed uh, with for Amazon Queen flew us over there to meet with us and then show us the show. And that was the year we were there was when 3DO was being announced. So we saw the 3DO on display, and that was mad because it wasn't just you know video games. It was everything else at the mm-hmm. Consumer Electronics Show. Um, and that was, that was mind-blowing because it was literally just – it was like football stadiums just full of gadgets and, and things. Hmm. Um, we weren't showing a game off there at that stage. We we're just talking about the, the games we were making. Um, so we had some experience with that. Um, and I got to say that being from Australia, and to me, summer is like you know, it's incredibly hot. You 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 um you swelter in the heat. And I thought summer CES in Chicago would be super hot. So I just wore I just wore like shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> and I got there, and maybe I'm just week but the wind up the lake it was so cold for winter and i yeah. thought this is not summer this is winter time <laughs> it's crazy yeah, yeah i wouldn't survive i think where you guys are living i'd be i'd freeze <laughs> trust me i'm not into this cold weather myself either, but, uh, um, i prefer it down in florida i think yeah that's that's <laughs> probably more my style too like the heat. <laughs> Well, um, I guess just to, to jump back a bit there, I, I remember at least some of my own memories with, with Ty in particular. Um, I think I had first noticed it out of the magazine ad that, that we had mentioned before and the commercial and all of that. Um, but it was definitely one of those things that was right up my alley. I think since I was a kid, um, and I'm, I'm 30 now, and I, I think since then, my favorite genre, probably since Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie was my absolute favorite at the time. But uh is probably 3D platformers or 2D platformers. Um, I've always loved that sort of thing. And then I saw that, so I, we had to give it a go on the GameCube. Um, and, and ended up loving it on there. I actually, I, what's funny is I don't think I ever actually owned it. One um, part of my family did, long story short, my parents split, my dad's side owned it. Um, but, but I remember playing it a lot there every time I'd go over. Um, and it was just one of those, I, it was different than you know, Mario or, or Banjo or what have you. Um, I, I really like that Australian aesthetic and such. Um, I, I think always since a kid, that was a place I've, I've always wanted to visit. I never have gotten the opportunity to, but um, I just really like the look of it. And, and you know, especially to me at the time, um, and, I, and I guess it would be since you all created it, but it, it felt really authentic, you know. Um, so that was cool. Um, I remember a lot of the voice acting in it in particular, sort of stuck out to me and it was for one i don't feel like that was something you saw a whole lot of quite then especially in the 3d platformer genre and things like that so that was cool and i, I always felt like it I, I actually recently went back and i feel like it was it was actually really well done um my favorite character of the bunch being maurice i think oh. um yeah <laughs> yes um yeah no no that's cool well what's great with because you know it was, a, it was a pretty big team where we got in the full swing of making tie um once we like the prototype we developed was about four or five of us put together over Christmas Christmas break. It's like a Christmas project, and we came back after Christmas and went, "This is it. We're going to build this." And we built it up. But what was interesting was that um, you know the, the the team 
we wanted to like the art team particularly wanted to make it really authentic and that's good to see you say that because the color palettes were taken from um you know real places that the team had been to so um what i loved like for example the old bugs bunny cartoons and you know i think is it chuck jones and tex avery and those guys really captured the feel of arizona and those places with their color schemes and um what would happen is sometimes if people did like an Australian game, they might take those Warner Brother cartoon colors. Whereas really we've got different, our greens are different greens, almost a blue greens for like the blue mountains and stuff like that. So what the team did was they went back and um, really looked at the color schemes of um, the rainforests and uh, got reference for, you know, the Barrier Reef. And so the colors are really bright and pretty true to what you see. So that was the, yeah, the art team was great. The, the way they really built that out. And also the, um, when you talk about Mori, um, the cockatoo, a lot of those characters are based on um, TV shows and characters from our childhood that we grew up with in Australia. So, um, you know, he was, um, there's, there's a, there was a bunch of, um, like, uh, we had a character called Dr. Julius Sumner Miller. He was a, uh, uh, an American scientist who came out to Australia and he used to host a kid's show here. Um, and so he was uh, Julius, um, the character who was the scientist. So we base a lot of that on, on people. And also the team members too, our, our producer, Lindsay, um, uh, he actually, uh, his dad's a marine biologist and he, he and his brother both did a marine biology and before they became game developers and become producers. But he would wear the khaki shirt and shorts like Steve Irwin. That's what he would wear um, <laughs> in real life. So we based Ranger Ken on him. So there's a lot of characters in the game that are based on, on the team members in the office as well. Um, a character called... Um, well, Steve, Steve's in there. I think he's um, actually. I think he came in at uh, Thai too. Steve's done with the others. He became the great, great Gubu. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. So uh, oh, Shaz, uh, Bruno, who was the um, lead artist, uh, Sharon, who's Ty's girlfriend. Shaz, that was based on his girlfriend, Sharon. Um, and we had an incident where our lead programmer, uh, Steve Williams, his nickname was Sly. And I think I've got it this right we end up putting a character called Sly in the game, who's Ty's brother, because everyone kept calling Ty Sly after Steve Williams. So it was very confusing. So, so yeah, so we created a character based on him. So, yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, personal touches in the game. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that came through when you are playing it. Yeah, no, seriously, that was awesome. I definitely remember these characters, and I thought you guys did a really good job of, like, giving them um, really unique personalities in the game. Oh, there's like a diverse crew that's working towards the goal. Brilliant. Well, that's kind of like the team, the team that made the game, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but that's, that's what it was. Um, that's, that's cool. Good to hear. So do you know, I actually wanted to ask, um, I know it had been quite a while, but uh, I was looking at just some of the voice actors and things. And did you do some additional voices of some sort, or do you remember any characters you may have may have jumped in for? Uh, me personally, yeah. I I probably we would have done temp uh, voices, and oftentimes they get left in the game. So okay, perhaps there would have been uh, yeah sound effects or, or, or grunts from the different like the different uh, yeah, you know, like there was the blue tongue lizards and things like that. I personally can't remember any. I do have a a, a bucket load of photos we did because we recorded a lot of that um, in uh, Redwood Shores, I think it was, uh, with EA offices. So, 
and we recorded a lot in um, Australia as well, in Melbourne. Um, but in because obviously, uh, as you probably know, in America there's quite a few Australian actors that live over there, so we got <laughs> a few of those people involved, which was great. Um, and some of them actually, we we auditioned for the voice actors. Um, we did blind auditions, so we had all the all the tapes sent to us. And, you know, they were Australian characters, but some of the actors who got the roles were actually American, which was interesting because they just had really good accents. <laughs> so we didn't we didn't bias it to um, just Australian only. We just got the, the what we thought were the best to suit the role. And, um, yeah, so that was uh, like like Boss Cass. Uh, I, he was definitely, um, I think he was an Amer- American. He had a really great voice and really um, brought that character to life. Well, outside of that, um, now... Going into two, um, you were in, were you involved with two and after that or just yeah so so I, so I was uh, uh, helped build two and then I did the design for three uh, but okay. I'd left between two and three and two has an interesting story because um, yeah referencing back to Jack and Daxter there was a time when Ty came out and Jack and Daxter came out and a lot of these great 3D platformers came out. And uh, around that time after they came out was Grand Theft Auto just blew up. And every publisher was, we want to make this like Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. And we have that even put on us with Ty when we're doing Ty 2. You know, it's going to be open world driving vehicles. So you see a lot of that in Ty 2, Bush Rescue, which is uh, we had the town hub and then we had the ability to drive around locations. So that was kind of, we didn't want to go too far because it was a platform game. But I feel sorry for the Jack and Daxter team because if you've ever played Jack and Daxter and if you look at Jack 2, it's night and day. Jack 2 is a very dark and sort of gritty <laughs> gritty game, whereas Jack 1's like, you know, these sort of space elves and it's really happy and, and like Zelda. Um, so they probably got the brunt of that um, that sort of almost across the industry, this, this desire to capture, um, you know, Grand Theft Auto and put that into your game. So yeah, so I was there with uh, with with Ty too, and yeah, we did we did you know create that game with a little bit of influence from um, the push push down to us from uh, EA to make it more open world, uh, but we did we would come work with a way to do that, still have the platforming that uh, you know made Ty Ty, hmm. and that we're big fans of. Um, with Ty two, um, Brad, I'm I'm assuming that you had Ty two as well. So I um, was really big into Ty one. Um, big enough that we got tied to, but I think that's where I stopped. Um, I'm I'm not offended. That's okay. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I I think that was just um, I, I I can't even remember why. Um, I feel like if I would have known there was a tie three, I probably on. Um, I I do remember the addition to the open world. Um, I remember like as a little kid the first reaction was this is awesome we get to like run over things and get this new mode with new powers um i think after a while it um became a slight annoyance when we were trying to like go through and complete the game just because the world was so big and finding all the nook and crannies took forever um yeah, now you know why that that was the case. So we, we did we should have pushed back we should have pushed back harder and said no we're doing another another platformer. I, I mean it, it 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 definitely added something that was like oh this is really cool and different, um, but 
at the same time. Um, and I can't remember if there was a fast travel or something. Um, I remember like really liking it at the start. And then after a while, just being like, um, I don't know if it was just because I was a kid and I haven't driven around. I get lost a lot in the car. Um, but I, I definitely enjoyed Tai 2. Um, I don't think I had quite the nostalgia for the, the second one as I did for the first one. The first one, I just um, really loved. There was just, I don't know, the game was fresh and it was new. And like I remember discovering things for the first time in Tai 1. Yeah, I think I got my son who's um I said he's he's just about ten thirteen, and when Ty came out in Steam, we we got that and played it, and he'd never played it before, so and he was actually enjoying it. So I think um it's weird, yeah, having worked on both of them, but I do think that there was something it was just just kind of nice. I'm mean, looking forward to playing it again on the Switch, which should be out soon. So um that's that's gonna be fun. Um because my memory of it was was is. Yeah, having having lived it and made it, you kind of get sick of these things. But um, you know, played it with my son. It was like, wow, this is really cool. So I'm hoping that um, on the Switch, I'll get that same experience again. Uh, but I do agree that with Tie Two, definitely, it probably doesn't hold up as well as the first one. And I I must admit, I haven't played Tie Three, so I don't know if I don't know how much of the design I made got used in it. So, <laughs> um, so I, it looks like. Is Ty actually short for Tyrone, like some of these things say, or is it just Ty? Like, was it always um, been Ty, or, or what? Actually, this is a good question. I, <laughs> I think it is Tyrone. A bit of trivia again. When we started Chrome, we're doing 3D stuff. We'd done Mike Stewart's Pro Bodyboarding as GWiz Entertainment. And then we did Chrome. We got um, Championship Surfer with... Uh, I think that might have been Hasbro, one of the companies. So this 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 surfboard game based on what we'd done with Pro Bodyboarding on PC, and that was going to be on console. And we hired a company called Shee Entertainment, and um, that was Mario and Tyrone were the two founders of that company. And I'm pretty sure Tyrone was the inspiration for the name Ty um, for for Titan Matoga. And she, by the way, is now known as Pickpock, and they do a bunch of really great games on mobile. So, um, like Into the Dead and, um, yeah, so if you look up Pickpock on mobile, they do a bunch of great games. So they're still around in New Zealand. And so they're, they're across the pond. So we actually got them in. And what we did was we couldn't, we couldn't, the way our contract was structured is we really couldn't outsource it. So we sort of snuck them in and, uh, we had them, we hired an office space and they came in and sort of pretended to be doing it, you know, as Chrome, but it was really them as their own company. And that's how we sort of, they got the leg up. Uh, we did a similar thing with um, the. I don't know if you guys played the Game Boy Advance version of Tie, uh, Tie Two. There was a GBA version, Game Boy Advance, and that was built by um, the guys who made Fruit Ninja and Jetpack Joyride. So they were, yeah. So they were wanting to make a Game Boy game, and no one. They were doing work for hire, um, I believe, and no one would let them make their own game on Game Boy to to prove they could do it. And we said, look, come on in. And we there was only about again half a dozen of them. They took space down um, on the bottom floor of our building and they made uh, with the uh, our team uh, tie two in the Game Boy. And so that's and so I'd like to think we gave them a bit of a head start. And then that led them to get a lot of work with THQ. So they went on and did a lot of great um, uh, games with THQ, a lot of licensed games with Nickelodeon. Um, so there's a bit of trivia there. So 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 with tie so. 
the, the faithful day, we, we actually came with all the Thai sort of um, just before Christmas. We came with a whole bunch of uh, what Thai was about. It was a brainstorming session we had uh, in the afternoon. We'd sort of on Fridays, we'd have what we call beer o'clock. So we'd have a beer and sort of chill out at the end of the day for before the weekend began. And we were talking about earlier, as I mentioned, you know, I, my kind of annoyance at Crash Bandicoot being, you know, this game that's supposed to be Australian and he had an American accent. His girlfriend did at least, or his sister. I don't know what she is. We sat there going, let's make our own game. And and during that session, it was like, there was about four or five of us and we're all throwing out ideas. So, you know, um, uh, one of the guys, uh, Matt Ditton, said he's gonna have boomerangs and uh, somebody said oh should we call Ty and so yeah so it was a collective thing so it wasn't just Steve and I going this is it everyone sort of threw up these ideas and one of the guys said oh, I should be Tasmanian a Tasmanian Tiger I went yes yeah, it's cool so we're writing down these ideas and he said gotta have boomerangs his name's Ty and Steve is going he's gonna have shorts and I think the first sketch of Ty has um he has sneakers like Sonic because Steve is a, a Sonic fan as well um which I have got a sketch on my hard drive somewhere of that and then he's he's you know took his shoes off eventually so he's barefoot yeah, so there was a lot of this stuff sort of came out of um, out of this afternoon session, and then myself and um, a guy called Rob and Steve over the break with uh, Tony's uh, 3D engine, we basically um, you know come up with the first prototype level of Thai, which was set in Australian mangroves, um, and ironically we didn't have crocodiles in it, and that was something that EA said you said they, they gave us feedback that we needed crocodiles because the croc hunter was really big back then, Steve Irwin. So there you go. So yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, Ty, Ty probably is Tyrone. Long-winded oh. answer. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so I, I know we're probably running a little low on time here, but I, I wanted to ask actually, especially with the original, I know some of the story with two and, and so on, but um, was there anything with the original you felt like uh, if you were, if you could go back that you would, you would want to change um or anything there that you've noticed that maybe hasn't aged as well as you'd like it to? There's one thing which we kind of knew as we were making it, which is this is what happens in game development. So we're playing Halo at the time, and I think if you've played the original Halo, there's a sequence where you've got to, I think it's one of the end levels, the bosses, you've got to drive through a lot of this, this area. It's been a long time since I've played Halo, but you've got to drive one of the Warthogs. Do you remember this level? You've got to drive it for quite a long time, and it's really hard, and you've got to avoid all these obstacles and stuff. So I was going, this is, I don't like that design. This is terrible. At the same time, we designed one of the final levels of time. You'd fly the boomerang, I think it is, down a tunnel. And we did the same problem. We, we, and maybe it was because we were playing Halo and going, I don't like this in Halo. And the next thing is, before it was too long, we went, oh my God, we've done the same thing. So that's something I would definitely go back and just change that, that part of the game because it felt a little bit, um, yeah, a bit sort of, a bit hard and yeah, probably wasn't the best way of doing it. We should have been, you know, playing lots of Mario bosses, I think, and that would have helped. So yeah, that's the one thing I would change that that end. Um, everything else, I'm pretty pretty happy with. Cool. I, I will say, in sort of a vehicle riding sort of thing, um, I always like the level where you ride the bull. Um, that was always a lot of fun. Yes, and you got yes, that's cool. That was fun. The big the big uh, the big um, uh, Razorback pig. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, not the bull. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and it was that was also cool, just since he was like the first boss you had fought um, just shortly before that, and then he came back for that. That was neat. Yeah, um, that's cool. So um, to jump forward a bit, um, is is there anything 
like right now that you're that you're currently working on or I, I know you're not always working in the, the game industry necessarily but um what are you into nowadays yeah so what i'm doing right now is is oddly enough i'm, I'm making games for apple watch and iphone which is a bit weird um because what i found was uh because after chrome and, and and i worked at a company called pandemic worked on a game called destroy all humans 2 and um which which is a lot of fun it was an open world game where you blow, blow up san francisco and stuff like that but what was um what i found with those big games and companies like I'm, I'm sort of over that i don't want to do those big things anymore i've had my fun working on you know 80 to 100 people teams and making games is is uh you never go down this rabbit hole of making them too big. So with Apple Watch, um, I started making uh, these little games for the Apple Watch, which are kind of hark back to uh, the old arcade games. So I've got a few up on the store now. Um, there's one that's um, called Kepler Attack, which is based on Gyrus, the old classic arcade game. Um, we've got uh, one called Asteroid Commander, which is based on asteroids. A friend of mine make these games. And we've got a new one coming out called... Um, Cleverly called Red Baron 1917, which is which is basically uh you know, it's like a, a 1942 style game where you you fly a Red Baron's plane and shoot down zeppelins. Um, and what's really fun about those is the scope is so small that we can make them um while doing other things. So if we're doing contact you know consulting work or whatever, we can make these games and get them out. So yeah, so we're trying to kind of aim. Last year we put out three games. They're only small, but yeah, and the market seems to be growing with Apple Watch. Oddly enough um there's enough people out there who are buying them so as an indie developer it's a sort of thing where it's um it's making uh me and my mate pete who's an artist uh we're actually earning some income out of it so yeah that's what we're working on so i'd, I'd like to keep doing that because i love making games and uh it's great to be able to have something from idea you know onto a store within about four months that's that's so refreshing to spending two years making a game and then maybe having it cancelled it's interesting because when we designed them, we, they were going to be Apple Watch only. We never had them for the intention of being on the phone, but we found it was really hard to get people to find Apple Watch games. Like they, there's no kind of way to discover them. So we had to do a iPhone version. So we, with with that one and the previous one, they are kind of the watch version scaled up. So they're probably not the, the best experience, but hopefully it looks okay. But with the new ones we're doing, we're, we're making them so they're both iPhone and, and watch playable. So they, they should look really good. They're full screen. So, yeah, so that's what I've been working on. So that's been a lot of fun. And I did have a weird experience last week. I, I made a really quick Apple Watch app called Hand Wash Timer, which is a, basically <laughs> what you do is you, you – it's a little bar of soap on your watch. You tap it, and it, it chimes after 20 seconds so you know when to finish washing your hands. So, you know, was, I'm terrible at washing my hands, and I thought, well, with the whole coronavirus, get my hands clean. And oddly enough, it blew up on um, a site called iMore they, in the US, a tech site. They 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 featured it, and so I had a bunch of downloads. So I was very excited about that. Um, previously, I've emailed them my games, and they just ignore me. But I didn't do anything this time, and they they somehow <laughs> found it and, and featured it. So that that was exciting. Well, Ryan, you got anything else, or Brad? You you have anything you want to add as well? Just heading back to Ty. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, there was always something hidden behind the waterfall. And I remember the first um, the first game, there's like the main open world with a really big waterfall. And for the longest time, there's nothing behind it. 
until you complete everything and you unlock and I remember that being such a cool reward for going through and finding enough to unlock this world. There's always something behind the waterfall, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I really like that point. Um, there was always something to go and explore and discover and uh, very few moments where you're just like stuck, I don't know what to do because there was just, there was an overabundance of things to do in that game it just seemed fresh so I, I really enjoyed it had a lot of nostalgia for it that was one of the like hidden gems of my childhood oh that's great and that's definitely big thanks to nintendo because that was you know games like you know, benja kazooie and you know mario 64 they're definitely big influences on us and and you know really trying to capture that that feeling that those games had mm-hmm Phil, if I ever get to work on my own game, I, I'm going to have to put waterfalls in it and put all the secrets behind <laughs> And then leave that one empty, and I'll be disappointed yeah. going, why is there nothing here? And then you have a big payoff at the end. Yes. <laughs> Just to mess with people. Exactly. Uh-huh. So, so the uh, Tide of Tasmanian Tiger has gotten an HD uh, make, and I guess it's getting... I don't know if it's just a reboot or... A, if it's considered a sequel or just like even more like a new art style for the original game. Um, but the future of the series seems pretty healthy. Um, it, it was successful enough on Kickstarter anyway. Um, so it's cool to see the series come back. And um, what's it like to, to know that like this, this game that you started out um, and it's got a lot of like mascot, like nostalgia um, and seeing that come back. And I know you say you're, you're excited to play it, but um, yeah. what, what does it feel like to see, like your your kind of legacy live on and new generations and people experiencing that. It's pretty cool and it's it's kind of un, it's unusual because we actually had a point where um, after Ty came out, it got featured in a um, the Australian it's what's the it's called Acme Australian Center for Moving Image so it's like a museum dedicated to film and they did a big a centerpiece there for that um, years after Ty came out. And they had a big zoetrope where it was like a huge, those, you know, those big, um, they're like big uh, discs with statues on them and they spin and the lights flash and the, the statues look like they're animating. They made one of those of Ty, which is pretty cool. So have that, have that creator was great. But then we had this explosion of amazing Australian games like Untitled Goose Game and Fruit Ninja and a bunch of amazing games. So we kind of, we were like old school way behind. So it's nice to see it sort of come back again because there is a lot of really great, um, games in the world and a lot of great games that come out of Australia but it's still nice to know that we're st- we haven't been totally forgotten um, and having that legacy is, is pretty cool um, so yeah I'm enjoying it and like I said I'm looking forward to playing it again on the um, on the Switch to think is it is it just is it just the memories like when you watch an old TV show you think it was great like the A-Team and you go oh it's it's a bit you know it's not, not the way I remember it um, so I'm, I'm hoping it's not like that but we'll find out soon enough well, uh, Josh, do you have any final closing remarks? Um, I think that's about all I have got written up. But yeah, I'd, I will say, um, yeah, I'd really appreciated the game back back in its day, and I still do. Like I said, I've I've picked up a, another version of it here recently just to to play around on to kind of prepare, um, and I'll play through it again the, the, the HD version, of course. Um, but yeah, it's a great time. It's got a lot of good memories for me. Um, so yeah, yeah, thank you for for all the effort you all put into that back in the day and. 
it was a it was a big team it was definitely a team effort so as it wasn't just steve and myself it was a whole bunch of uh talented people and a lot of them have gone on to some great stuff um we've got uh rob davis um who did some work on ty he's uh now at the lead one of the lead designers on god of war series at santa monica sunny santa monica so a lot of the um a lot of people who came through that team have gone to some great things in you know in the states and the uk and australia still so it's pretty exciting to be to be a part of that very very uh very blessed for one last thing um maybe this is a little bit general but uh, for anybody who is interested in, in the game industry um especially is there any sort of advice that you'd give them for trying to get in get in in different ways i know there's all kinds of different ways you can jump in but uh yeah well i think for, for me and back when we we're doing tie and, and even for a bigger studio the biggest thing was having people come in with actually work examples of their work and if you're a, like for example i'll go to rob davis is now one of the lead designers at uh Sony santa monica and god of war what he did was he actually did a little like almost animated cutscene of how he would make a level for the game so you know it was just done up pretty pretty basic but he animated it and he had a little voiceover talking about it so even though he couldn't make a game he made that so my advice would be to anyone who wants to get in the industry don't think you have to be a programmer or an artist or have those skills to do it if you can it's great like if you could make a, a little demo in game maker that'll put you so far ahead of everyone else who's applying for jobs to saying i want to be a game designer or a game programmer if you can show something but like I said, if you if you can't program or, or whatever, you want to you want to be a, a games musician. If you can just compose something, even if it's just on piano and you record it, just um, the amount of people you know who who sort of have a resume that doesn't really have any examples of work is 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 quite high. And if you can walk in with an example of something, like I said, it it could even be a a, a paper prototype of a board game. That's that's you know that that could work. It's just showing that you've got the initiative to make something and you've thought about it. That's a that's a big that that puts you so far ahead of everyone else. Um, so my advice that's the first bit. And the second bit would be just find somebody else who may be like-minded and try to make something. That's that's really key. Um, you know, and and these days with uh, the tools like Unity and Game Maker and um, so many amazing tools that you you can do that and you don't have to. Um, you know, if you can find and with the internet, you can find somebody out there who can who can join forces with and make something and make something small. Ryan, uh, do you want to get to leading or closing us out? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys are easily uh, accessible on social media, um, but this is the part where we have you guys uh, plug yourselves and uh, have people let people know where to find you. Uh, Brad, do you have any uh, any places that our fans could go and check you out? Um, I do apologize. I am like a ninja, so uh, <laughs> good luck finding me. <laughs> somewhere on the dark web that's where he's hanging out <laughs> uh-huh. but i once in a great while you'll see him him pop up here or there um on our, our show and so definitely it's always a pleasure having you on man and thank you so much for coming on for this episode um so john uh where can people find you uh mine is uh at john passville that's j-o-h-n-p-a double s f-i-e-l-d and that's on twitter and i think that's the same on facebook i don't really do much on facebook but mostly on twitter and i just tweet about you know screenshots of games i'm working on and stuff like that or or generally you also find me rummaging around and finding you know uh old 
stuff from trade shows. Like, you know, I found this Jack and Daxter um, beautiful um, brochure they had. I found that and tweeted pictures of that out. Nice. Or maybe um, maybe my old Star Wars toys that are still in boxes, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> I, need, I need to do more of that on my Instagram account, so <laughs> definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciated your insight into the industry and just your your, uh, your kind of gaming nostalgia for as a developer side. That's really, really cool to hear your stories. Uh, we really appreciate you, and thank you so much. It was um, a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. All right. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, you can find our show um, on our home site at thenintendovillage.com slash Nintendo Nostalgia. Uh, you can listen to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, you can also uh, find us on our Facebook at Nintendo NOS, on our Twitter at Nintendo underscore NOS. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Nintendo NOS IN. Uh, shoot us an email at NintendoNostalgiaIN at gmail.com. Um, and we also have a nostalgia hotline. You can call in and share your memories and show us some love at 317-969-5690. Guys, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Later, Preston. See you later. Bye-bye.